Today's readings are Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, and Isaiah 40, 10 to 11. From Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And from Isaiah 40, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, first through fifth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers and the rest of you may be seated. Thanks, Heather. Good morning, Grace. Oh, got, I even got my name there. <laughs> yes, my name is Esther McCurry, and I'm so glad to be with all of you this morning. Every few months, I get the privilege of sharing from God's Word with you. As you know, today is the second Sunday of Advent, and I especially love preaching during Advent because I love this time of year so much. Advent, if you're familiar with the term, means arrival. So at this time of year, we take time as a church and hopefully as individuals to create space, to slow down and think about Jesus Christ who came as a savior to us all. Advent means arrival. Each year, our church picks an Advent theme for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And this year, the staff chose Isaiah 9-6, a famous verse. I think it's going to pop up there. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, <clears throat> Prince of Peace. This verse foretells the birth of a child who will grow up to rule the nation's 
This child is the Messiah, the Savior the Israelites have been waiting for. And in this short verse, Isaiah gives us so much insight into who this Messiah is in this list of titles that he provides. And so each week during Advent, we are getting to take one of those titles and dig deeper into what that name means and a deeper understanding of what that name tells us about the Messiah. If you were here last week, you know that Jake kicked us off and talked about Wonderful Counselor. And so today we get to do Mighty God. Before we began this new Advent series, I wonder how many of us had spent much time thinking specifically about each of those names. Likely, we were familiar with the verse. It's a pretty well-known verse. A famous composer, George Friedrich Handel, wrote a song that has a section of it dedicated to just this verse, and it's famous throughout the Western world. It's called Handel's Messiah. And so it's likely that we were aware of these names, but I wonder how much time we had spent thinking about the specific names and what they mean. And so I'm excited for the focus this year that we get to dig deeper today on Mighty God and know more about what Isaiah meant. At this time in Israel's history, things are not going great. Israel is in disobedience and they are far from God. Isaiah, God's prophet, is telling them time and again of God's longing for them, of his heart to draw them back to him, but because of their own hard-heartedness, Israel won't allow it. They are far from God. Things are bleak, and they're going to get worse. And it's in the midst of this gloom and doom that Isaiah makes a prophetic declaration of the Messiah who is coming. In the midst of all this trouble and disobedience, Isaiah makes a prediction of the Messiah who will come. The Messiah, he says, will be born a child. And as he grows, his authority will grow. He will bring his people into light. He will save them. And then Isaiah gives this list. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. For us on this side of the cross, the Messiah has already come. We're living in this already not yet time that we talk about a lot in this church. God's kingdom has come, but not fully. We're still waiting for his coming. It's his second coming though. So we're like the Israelites in that we are waiting for the Messiah to come but we're waiting for his second advent, for his second arrival. And we know that as we wait, this Messiah who has come and will come again is and will still be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and the Prince of Peace. And so this morning, we get to spend time thinking about that second title, Mighty God. And there's so much in those two words. For starters, did you notice that Isaiah describes the Messiah, the Son, as mighty God? Not as mighty one or the Son who is mighty, but as mighty God. So right off the bat, Isaiah is being careful and purposeful to show us that the Messiah, the Son, is divine. Isaiah is giving us a picture of the fullness of the Messiah, He draws attention to the fact that the Messiah will be born a child in the beginning of that verse, Isaiah 9, 6. He says, for unto us a child is born. And in doing so, Isaiah draws our attention to the fact that the Messiah is 
human. He's, he has the fullness of humanity. And now here with this title, Almighty God, he brings us face to face with the deity, with the divine nature of the Messiah. The Messiah, the Son, is the mighty God as part of the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is mighty. He is both divine and human. But Isaiah is showing us so much more than just the humanity and the deity of the Messiah. And so this morning, I want us to look at what Isaiah means when he describes the Messiah as mighty God. Isaiah has something in his mind when he is listing off all these names to describe the Messiah. For us, they're catchy little titles that we're used to, but for Isaiah, he had something specific in mind with each one of these titles. And so today we're going to look at what Isaiah understands the mightiness of God to be. Three parts of it. There's a lot in Isaiah about the mightiness of God, but we're going to just focus on three aspects of God's mightiness this morning. And as we focus on those three aspects, as we go deeper into what the mightiness of God means, I'm hopeful that it will grow our own understanding, that it will give us a deeper appreciation for the mightiness of God, not just for what he has done, not just for what he will do, but for what our mighty God is doing in our lives right now. So the mightiness of God, as found in Isaiah, in three parts, okay? You ready? We're ready. All right. Some people are ready. We're going to start by going back to the beginning of Isaiah. So if you have a Bible with you or there's one under your seats, and I forgot to check the numbers. So if somebody has the blue Bible for Isaiah chapter one, thank you, Ramona, 573. You can turn to 573. We're going to look at Isaiah one together. Oh, I feel like Bob Barker with this like kind of microphone and people are calling stuff out. Say it again, Steve. 566. Okay. Isaiah chapter 1. So as we start reading, we're going to see how the prophet is detailing the many crimes that Isaiah has committed, that, that Israel has committed in their covenant with God. Remember how we said it's a dark time in Israel's history? We're about to see that. We're about to hear as we read the way that Israelites have broken their covenant with God. They entered into a covenant agreement that Moses gave to them that they would love God and serve him and follow his commands, and they aren't doing that. And so Isaiah, God's prophet, is going to call them into account for those crimes, and he does that, and we're going to see that in Isaiah 1. And as we read, we're going to see not just Israel's sins, and the way they've broken and are in breach of their contract, but also how God responds in his might to those sins. And then we're going to see the first aspect of God's mightiness, and it's this, that God uses his might to bring judgment. So we're going to read in Isaiah 1, we're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to see the sins of the people Israel, and we're going to see how God responds in his might. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. 
That's quite a list. God describes his people as prostitutes because of the way that they have broken their covenant agreement with him. Prostitution was a common theme in Old Testament prophecy because it was a means to contrast how Israel was supposed to be a faithful wife and now they had turned their back on God. God says that they used to pursue righteousness and now there's only injustice. They used to have valuable wine and silver, but those have been diluted and polluted with water and dross. Their leaders are in rebellion and take advice from criminals. Orphans and widows can't even get justice because those in authority are only interested in bribes and money. This is the state of God's people. Sin, sin, and more sin. And here's where we see the mighty God show up. Here's where we see the mighty God and his judgment come into play. Let's keep reading in verse 24 as we see how God's might calls these people into account. Verse 24. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get my relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. There we see it. The mighty one of Israel is going to intervene. He's going to put a stop to all this injustice and unrighteousness. Here we see the mighty one of Israel show up. And when he does, it's to bring judgment. We're going to keep reading. Look again at verse 24. Listen to the judgment and the might. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get my relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. God cannot allow the disobedience of Israel to continue. And so he arrives in his might, and in that mightiness, he brings judgment on Israel's sins. Look at verse 25 as it continues to speak of God's judgment. I will turn my hand against you and smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. God's might displayed here in his judgment acts as a purging agent. He's going to remove all the dross. The dross is all of the impurities that rise to the surface when a metal is heated. And so God in his might is going to separate the rubbish from the valuable. And not for the point of vengeance, but for the purpose of bringing his people back into right relationship with him. God is mighty and he uses that might to judge. Isaiah says that the Messiah will be called mighty God. And when Isaiah says mighty God, he has in that image, in that mightiness, a God who judges. Judgment is not popular in our culture today. We want to make everything okay. We tell people, you do you. We act as if truth is relative. What's right for you may not be right for me, and who are we to say what's right anyway? That's what's popular. But scripture, time and time again, tells us that God hates sin. Sin is not just an issue, it is the issue. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. Sin is the reason that God needed to send his perfect son to the world. We have a sin problem, and we need a solution. 
And thankfully, God provided that solution in the person of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, Jesus did not come to just play nice. His was not a message of you do you. His was a message of truth and conviction. Listen to this verse from 2 Timothy 4.1. Christ Jesus is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. God is serious about sin, and it is no coincidence that the Messiah who is mighty will come in his might and bring judgment on the sinful world. I think that what's even more convicting for me about these verses is that the people that God is talking to are his people. It's not the pagan world. It's God's chosen people that are in sin and in separation from, from him, and is, it is them that he has to come in his might and judge. <clears throat> sin was separating God from his people, and he needed to resolve that. What is our view of sin? Not the like metaphorical, vague, we're all broken kind of way, but personally, literally, have we dealt with our own sin? Have we gone to the Savior and said, I need you to save me? Have we confessed our sins? And are we ruthless with the sin that is in our lives, rooting it out so that we can move toward restoration and repentance? <clears throat> Maybe we need to spend some time in confession either one-on-one -on -one with God or with someone that we can be honest with about our sin so that we can eliminate it and pursue holiness. I'm not talking about perfection, but putting ourselves in the path of holiness by taking a good look at our own life. Maybe we need to spend time in Scripture, reorienting ourselves to the problem of sin and the answer that is Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to spend time in spiritual, spiritual direction, in the presence of a professional who can help us see ourselves more clearly and therefore God more clearly. Sin is serious, and we have to take it seriously. Isaiah says that the Messiah is the mighty God, and when Isaiah describes the Messiah as mighty God, he has God's judgment in mind. Fortunately, that's not the only aspect of God that Isaiah understands when he talks about God's mightiness. And some of you are thinking, thank goodness, lady, this is the least Christmassy message I have ever heard. Get to the good part. All right, I'm getting there. We're going to turn to Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, we see another side of God's might, and this time it is that God uses his might to save. See? Good news. God uses his might to save. When the Messiah comes, he will come in might, and he will use that might to save. So let's begin reading in Isaiah 59, beginning in verse 1. We're going to see this second aspect of God's mightiness. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. God is mighty, and he uses that might to save. God says that Isaiah's hand, Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah says that God's hand is not too short. Nothing is too hard for him. Though God's people have been in outright rebellion from him, though they are far from him, God's hand can still save them. He is still mighty enough to save these rebellious people. Keep reading in verse 2 to see their rebellion. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, 
and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God's people had sinned and caused a separation. Don't worry, I'm I'm not going back to the bad news. I just want you to keep in mind the state of these people and how far they are from God when his arm reaches out to save them. Okay, so jump with me to verse 15 so we can see how mighty God is to save. Verse 15. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. What the sinner could not do for himself, God did for him. God intervened through the strength of his own arm, and he brought salvation. God is mighty, and he uses that might to save. So we've talked about God's judgment, and this is the flip side of that, God using his might to save. Have you experienced God's salvation? Have you gone to the Savior and said, I need you, I want to be saved by you? If you haven't done that, do that today. It's not hard, it doesn't have to be complicated. Right where you're sitting, pray to God and tell him, I need you. He wants to save you. He longs to save you. He is mighty to save you. Many of us have probably accepted the salvation of the Messiah, and we've seen God work mightily in rescuing us from our sins. But perhaps we have forgotten that he is a God who saves others. God's hand is not too short that it cannot save, nor is his ear too dull that it cannot hear. That is true, my friends, for you and for me, but it is also true for our friend or family member who is hard-hearted, who has rejected Jesus time and again and wants nothing to do with him. Does someone come to your mind when I say that? For me, it's my brother David. My brother is seven years older than me, but we ended up in seminary at overlapping times. He had come out from Texas where we grew up and where he'd been a youth pastor so that he could start at Talbot. And around that same time, I was graduating from Biola and starting at Talbot myself. And we had so many good conversations about what God was doing and what scripture was teaching us and what the professors were enlightening for us, and it was exciting. My brother graduated first, and he became a pastor, first an associate pastor first in Long Beach, and then later a senior pastor at a church near Biola. And then around his 40th birthday, David began to have doubts. And those doubts turned to cracks, and those cracks turned to chasms, and David ended up rejecting his faith and the saving work of Jesus Christ in his life. Needless to say, he left his pastorate job, He rejected his faith, and he has not returned since. In the 10 years that have followed, I have prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted for this lost brother of mine. I have had conversations and arguments with David. I have cried and I have cried. And I've grown weary. I've lost faith. In the years since, I have come to see God's arm as short. I've come to see his ear as dull. I've lost hope that God could save David. And my friends, that is not true. Esther, that is not true. Our God is a God who saves. 
He is mighty to save, he can do it, and he wants to do it. I didn't expect to get emotional there, and, and that's okay. God wants to save David, even though he is far from him. And God wants to save the people who came to your mind as we've been talking this morning. God's arm is not too short for my brother, and his ear is not too dull for my cries, and I hope someday the cries of my brother as he returns his, to his faith in Jesus. God can save. He is mighty to save, and he wants to save. <clears throat> Perhaps you long to see the mightiness of God in his salvation in another way. Maybe you have already experienced the forgiveness of your sins, and you're, you're saved, and many of your loved ones are, but you, you long to be rescued in another way. Bring that to God. Is it anxiety? Bring it to him. Is it chronic illness and pain? Bring that to him. Do you need to be rescued from a toxic work environment? Bring that to him. His arm is not too short. He is strong to save. Do you need to be rescued from your loneliness? He is mighty. He is waiting for you to come to him. He loves you and he is mighty to save. He wants to act on your behalf. I think sometimes, <clears throat> I'm guilty of this, we act like our God is all used up. Like maybe he was mighty when he created the world or even when he sent his son, but now he's worn out and weak. That is not who our God is. He is mighty, and when he comes in his might, he brings salvation in every area that we need it. So we've seen that Isaiah, when he talks about Messiah and gives him this title, Mighty God, means that the Messiah will be mighty to bring judgment, he will be mighty to bring salvation, and there's one more thing that I want us to look at today. There's one more aspect of God's might that Isaiah shows us that I want us to see so that we get this full picture of this Messiah who is the mighty God. And so we're going to turn one more time in Isaiah, this time to Isaiah 40. In this final passage, we read about one more component to the Messiah who is mighty, and this is the God who uses his might to comfort. Our God is powerful, and he uses that power to soothe us, to calm us, to comfort us. God comes in his might, and in that might, he brings comfort. So let's read together in Isaiah 40, and I'm in verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isaiah shows us here a God who is mighty, who uses his might to comfort. Listen again to the language. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms. He carries them in his bosom and gently leads him. 
These words evoke such comfort and compassion. God is mighty and he uses that might to carry us. He uses his strength to pick us up and cradle us. In Isaiah's day, a shepherd would have tended so meticulously over his flock. He would have counted each one. He would have watched over them in the night. He would have protected them from danger. And that, people of grace, is what God does for us. He watches over us so carefully, so meticulously. He comforts us, especially when we are fragile and weak. When the lamb was lame and unable to walk, the shepherd picks that lamb up and walks across the the night, across the rocky terrain to get that lamb back to safety. That is what our God does for us. When we are broken and frail, God carries us in his strength, in his might. He cradles us against his chest as close to his heart as he can bring us. And he holds us there, comforting us, cradling us, loving us in his might and in his strength. In our anxiety and depression, God is there to carry us. In our frailty, when we are like a lost sheep, when we are wandering in the dark, far from the fold, he is there in his strength to carry us. He brings us close to his heart and he holds us there. So this means that when our kids are sick and we are worried, the mighty Messiah is there to comfort us. This means when there's a job change on the horizon and the future looks uncertain, God in his might is there to comfort us. This means that when we get a scary diagnosis, whether it's for us or for someone we love, God in his strength carries us. When we are lonely and isolated, the mighty Messiah gets down like a shepherd, picks us up and carries us as close to his heart as he possibly can. In his might, God longs to comfort us. In every aspect of our lives, we have a Messiah who is mighty, and he uses that might to comfort us. He wants to comfort us. He longs to comfort us. And because he is mighty, he is able to do it. My friends, our Messiah is a mighty God. He is mighty, and he will use that might to bring judgment. He will use that might to save, and he will use that might to comfort. May we today be reminded and renewed in our faith and our hope in this mighty God who loves us and longs so much to be with us.